Our reading this morning is taken from Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 23. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What, am I, what I am saying is this, that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Just going to move some stuff. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the letter to the Galatians. We thank you for this piece of scripture. We thank you for what it has to say to us this morning. We thank you that by your spirit, you speak to us through your living word. And we ask that you give us clear eyes this morning to see the truths that you have for us. Help us understand you better. Amen. Good. Well, good morning. Um, <clears throat> human beings tend to be drawn towards stories to do with transformation. Uh, I don't know how many of you are fans of the TV show The Repair Shop. Is that a show that people watch? It's one of my kind of guilty pleasures, kind of half-time uh, half-term uh, TV for me. Um, and like a lot of shows on TV, it's a program where it's, it's kind of about transformation, isn't it? So somebody brings in something that's kind of old and a bit knackered, and then these amazing uh, people work on it and transform it into something that is greater than it was. It's a, it's a show about transformation from lesser to greater. And there are lots of shows on TVs like that. Some of them are to do with fashion, some of them are to do with cars. But I think as human beings, we are drawn to the narrative that something can be transformed from lesser to greater. Do you agree with that? It's the Spider-Man story, isn't it? Something that can be drawn from lesser to greater. It's almost as though we have a need 
deep in our DNA to hear this story being told over and over again, that it is possible for something to be transformed from lesser to greater. In chapter 3 of Galatians, Paul describes what that means for Christians, how we undergo a fundamental change of identity because we belong to Christ. We go from lesser to greater. We go from being slaves to being children and heirs of God. And I want to use three words beginning with R, because that's what preachers do, isn't it, to help us navigate this passage. I want us to think about religion, and then I want us to think about relationship, and then I want us to think about rights. Religion, relationship, and rights. So in this passage, Paul describes our former state before we belong to Christ. And he uses the metaphor of children who are not yet ready to inherit their father's estate. He describes how young children are subject to guardians and trustees. And that like slaves in the household, we were governed by what's, he uses the phrase, the basic principles of the world. So I'm in chapter 4, verse 3. If you just look at your Bibles, you might find that um, that's translated in different ways. The basic principles of the world, my version has under the elemental spiritual forces of the world, but it has a little note at the bottom which says, or under the basic principles of the world. It's quite a difficult term to translate. Now, I'm not a Greek expert, but I read a book by somebody who is a Greek expert, and what I learned was the word that Paul uses here might be referred to as kind of the ABCs of life. The ABCs of life. Or the idea that things are placed in a row in a neat order, one after the other. The ABCs of life. The image is one of order, organization, and control. So what does Paul mean when he says that before we belong to Christ, we were under slavery, under these kind of ABCs of life? I believe what he's talking about, given the context of this letter, is what we might call organized religion. Religion as something that is organized in a logical, patterned way. Okay? Now, you might be somebody who feels comfortable when things are carefully ordered. I know there are certain character types like this. There might be a few people in the room. It might shock you to hear that that's not me. Um, careful organization of things is not my strong point. Um, I am forever thankful that um, Hannah, my wife, has a kind of natural gift for order. She likes kind of organizing things, um, or perhaps I'm just saying in a nice way that she's not as lazy as I am. Um, but I don't think that Paul is talking about that here. I don't think he's advocating chaos either, and he's certainly not criticizing people who like multicolored post-it notes. What he means in this context is religion as a carefully controlled and ordered expression of what it means to live a good life. He's talking about what we might call legalism, the idea that being a full human being means following a certain set of rules, that that's how to have a good relationship with God. It reminds me of the story in Mark uh, chapter 10, uh, the, the rich young man who approaches Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Do you remember the story? Um, and Jesus reminds him of all the commandments and the rich young man says, well, I followed all of these. 
since I was a boy. And then Jesus says, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. I think one of the points of that moment in the Gospel of Mark is that this pious young man was seeking to gain relationship with God via religious observance. He believed that following commandments and rules was the path to righteousness. And Jesus clearly points out in this interchange the problem with that kind of thinking. He says, no one is good except God alone, which means no one actually can follow the rules. No one can follow the rules and get it all right. I believe that religious thinking is one of the greatest dangers to the journey of the Christian. One of the reasons why Paul is so frustrated in this letter is that the Galatian church have been set free from the belief that observing these rules granted them legitimacy somehow. They didn't have to get circumcised. They didn't have to do things in a certain way to be close to God. They'd been set free from that because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Paul says to them that they're thinking about their faith in that way is still like being a slave. He understood the truth that all have fallen short of the glory of God and therefore no amount of ordered religious practice could ever bring us closer to God. Actually seeking to gain righteousness this way creates distance between human beings and God. It achieves the opposite thing. It's a form of slavery, Paul says, and it's a denial of the very work of the cross. You see, what was going on in the Galatian church was that they were under a huge amount of political and social pressure to legitimize uh, the Romans had agreed that Jews were allowed to worship in a certain way, and in order to establish yourself as a Jew, you had to follow certain rules. And because this kind of offshoot movement was not following the rules, they weren't being circumcised and they weren't doing certain things, it was a threat. It was a threat to the Romans, it was a threat to the Jewish community, because they were representing a faith that wasn't legitimate in the eyes of society. The truth is, everybody, that I believe, and I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I think religion is less threatening to people than relationship. I think religion is less threatening to people than relationship. Have you ever noticed that people are comfortable with the idea that you go to church, but if you say, I've got a relationship with God, that freaks them out? It freaks out people, doesn't it? It freaks out authority as well, because that can't be controlled or measured in the way that religion can relationship is actually more threatening to people than religion because people understand rules rules make sense don't they they're predictable they're controllable they create an illusion of safety and order in our lives they help us feel in control and for all these reasons these things move us further away from god Let's not believe that this is an ancient problem. <laughs> For us too, religion can feel comforting. It can feel comforting. The Western church has its own traditions and routines, and there's nothing wrong with this in itself, but we must always be careful never to confuse religious practice with relationship. We're not called to join a movement that meets at 10.30 each Sunday and reads scriptures and sings songs in a certain way. 
You know, let us not fall into the trap either of mistaking kind of charismatic expression as relationship. One of the most stifling experiences of religion that I have ever experienced was when I was a teenager in a charismatic church. And I was taught a rule that said if I didn't speak in tongues, I wasn't filled with the Spirit. Okay? If I didn't speak in tongues, I wasn't filled with the Spirit. That was religion, which actually damaged my relationship with God for quite a while. Okay? So let's not believe this is just a kind of high church, low church thing. Religion, legalism, unfortunately, is alive and well in all corners of the church. So we need to be aware of this. There's nothing inherently wrong with worship routine, liturgy, ritual. These things are not inherently wrong as long as they are a product of relationship. As long as they are a product of relationship. I sit down with my children and have you know, dinner in an evening. It's a routine, but it's a product of relationship. The communion is a product of relationship. Of these things, the, these routines and practice themselves, they're not faith. And we must guard against thinking that religious practice is somehow the same thing as righteous living. It's not. Paul makes it abundantly clear here. Mistaking religion for relationship is like choosing infancy over adulthood or slavery over freedom. It makes no sense and it brings no life. My friends, if our faith is built on ordered religion alone, if we find ourselves thinking that righteousness is somehow a product of how well we follow the rules, then we're still thinking like slaves and we're actually denying the redeeming work of Christ. So what are we called into, those who are baptized in Christ? We're not called into religion, we're called into relationship. It's a relationship. The Christian baptized in Christ has fundamentally changed their identity, Paul says. They have become children of God. And what does that mean for us? Well, Paul teaches that we've become God's children through faith alone. We have not had to earn this status. It's something given to us as a product of grace. As children of God, we are no longer governed, he says, by these basic principles of the world, the categories and regulations that human, humans otherwise use to navigate reality. Paul tells us later in the chapter that these are weak and miserable principles. Instead, he calls the Galatian church back to relationship. If our faith is rooted in relationship, and we are all equal as children of God, the idea that there would be any difference of status between us is unthinkable. It no longer makes sense, does it, to attach spiritual value to human characteristics like ethnicity, occupation, or gender. Hierarchies of power and privilege, they're human constructs. They're a product of religion in its worst sense. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't all divide up the work according to people's gifts doesn't mean that at all. What it does mean, though, is that in God's eyes, no one is good, and therefore all believers are equally children and heirs of God. Or as Paul says elsewhere, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means all are equally redeemed. We must beware the tendency to think of ourselves as lesser than or greater than based on our religious behavior 
or that of others. Jesus simply does not think this way. You remember the disciples arguing about who was the greatest. Do you remember that? And Jesus saying, look, no, you got this completely wrong. The first will be last and the last first. Paul tells us in the letter here that all of you who were baptized into Christ, that's me and you, everybody, all of you have clothed yourself with Christ. If we belong to Christ, we are heirs according to the promise, regardless of physical characteristics, ethnicity, or our religious behavior. We are all together in God's family. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be an heir? Well, it's a slightly strange idea, isn't it, in a kind of modern capitalist system to have an heir. I sometimes joke with my children that they're heirs and they don't, <laughs> they don't really think, well, what am I inheriting? You know, your, your bass guitar. Um, but but it's, it's a great metaphor for grace, actually, which is why Paul uses it. It's a great metaphor for grace. An heir stands to inherit that which he or she has not deserved or worked for. Shall I say that again? An heir stands to inherit that which he or she has not deserved or worked for. You gain by virtue of your birth. That's how it works, inheritance. You just happen to be born into a particular family. You are an heir. In verse 5, Paul describes the inheritance of the believer as the full rights of sons or full rights of children. My friends, the rights of being an heir of God is beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our comprehension. In Romans, Paul describes us as co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. We stand to share in his glory with Christ. And this inheritance has a now and not yet quality. Clearly now we stand on the promise that we will inherit life and life in all its fullness, but also that we'll be given the rights to stand with Christ as co-heirs, brothers and sisters in the new kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. What a fabulous promise. What a fabulous thing to be adopted into, to be co-heirs with Christ. We should look forwards. We should look at that description in Revelation 22, which says, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That's you and me. That's for you and me. What a glorious inheritance. What a gift. What a gift. And Paul makes it clear in the, in the passage to Galatians that the rights of being an heir are breaking in now. He tells us that because we are children of God, that God has spent, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit is a foretaste of our rights and inheritance as those who belong to Christ. What a gift. What a gift of grace that we have now, a foretaste of our inheritance, even now that we have the intimacy of saying we are legitimate children of God. What a truth. What a truth. And what should our response be to this truth? Well, we might be the, like the lost son in Luke 15, who returns to his father having squandered his inheritance. And like him, we may feel this morning 
deeply unworthy. And yet we find ourselves yielding to the Father's generous embrace. Whether we feel it or not, this morning we are fitted with the best robes. We are invited to celebrate as legitimate heirs and co-heirs with Christ. That's us. We were lost, but we've been found simply because God sent his son for us that we might receive the full rights of legitimate children. It's wonderful news. It's wonderful news. And so we should encourage our spirits this morning to cry out, Abba, Father. And in so doing, we step into our inheritance. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you beyond words. We thank you that we are your children, that we are legitimate, that we are co-heirs with Christ for all you have for us this morning and all you have for us in the future, that we will stand with him in glory in the new heaven and the new earth and that you recognize us as your children. And so we cry out this morning, Abba, Father, help us to step into your warm embrace this morning. Help us to leave behind slave-like thinking Help us be your children. Help us enter into relationship with you this morning. Help us be real with you. We ask you to bless us as we worship you. Amen.